Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. So our gospel reading today is John 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went to the tomb. The two were running together but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their home. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Thanks, Kara. And happy Easter, everybody. Uh, It's so good to be with you. So good to see your faces. Uh, Rajan, we're twins, so that's great. Uh, The scripture portion today 
it starts like a mystery novel. And I want you to imagine that you're reading it. You know, like when I read a book, I always really pay attention to the first line to see whether it's delicious and juicy. And if this was the first line of a mystery novel that you had no idea what was happening, listen to it again. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. I mean, that's a great first line, isn't it? Right? It makes you want to ask, well, wait, well, hold on. Who's Mary Magdalene? Right? And why was she up before dark? And why did she go into the tomb? And who was in the tomb? And what was she planning to do once she got there? Right? So in this story, as it goes on, when she sees that the stone has been rolled away, she races home to tell Peter and John. And when they hear what happened, they brush past her. Do you notice that? They just brush right past her. They race each other to the tomb, paying no attention to Mary, how she's feeling, or if she's tired or hungry after her round trip to the tomb and back before sunrise. <laughs> Typical men, right? <laughs> then for the next nine verses, we get a bunch of odd details. Remember, we're reading this story as if we've heard it for the first time. It's a mystery novel. We read that John beat Peter to the tomb, but, <laughs> but Peter went in first. We learned that there were two piles of burial clothes inside of the tomb, one for Jesus' body and one for his face, and they were lying in separate piles. We learned that John went in and believed, but also that both Peter and John returned home because as yet they did not understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. So I've got an all play question for you. Please follow along in the chat. Uh, put your answers in the chat. All play questions are designed to just to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo, but also just to get the conversation started. So no points for holding back an answer. They're all great answers. And your answers lead us to a much deeper question, a much deeper question and a much deeper answer than I could give by myself, right? So here's the question. How were Peter and John looking for Jesus? How? were Peter and John looking for Jesus. Remember, they raced past Mary. They ran the whole way. It was important for John to say that he was faster than Peter. It was important for Peter to go in first. It was important to notice the two piles of linens, one for his face, one for his body. Okay. Uh, women preach first. 100%, Hannah. Yes. And also privilege. How are they looking for him? Privilege. They're running past the woman. They don't even stop to ask her any questions. They just go because we're going to find out. We're going to go in a straight line and find out like we always do. Uh, Nate Ban Banker, frantic. Yeah, they were kind of frantic. <laughs> Noticing who's going in first, who's not going in first. Like setting up a scene for CSI later on, right? Uh, Elizabeth, looking to prove something. Will, eager to prove Mary right or wrong. Yeah, and now we're going to give him lots of grace, right? Because, I mean, 
for all they knew, they were weeping because Jesus had just died and they didn't understand that he must rise again. So when Mary comes back, like they don't know what's going on. Maybe someone stole Jesus. Uh, who knows, right? And how did someone roll that stone away? It was crazy. Well, listen, on the first day of the week of our own lives or on any day for that matter, when it's dark and we can't see, I think this story, this mystery novel, is going to teach us how to look for the resurrected Jesus. On the first day of the week, or on any day of the week for that matter, when it's dark and we can't see, I think this mystery novel is going to teach us how to look for the resurrected Jesus. It's going to teach us to wonder with curiosity about where we might find him. It's going to teach us to change our expectations about what we'll see when we finally do find him. Snaps on that. Let's dive in. Verse 11, after we ramble through the nine or 10 verses where Peter and John are just telling us meaningless details, not meaningless, but you know, we finally get back to Mary, the really important person in the story. Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb. Now, can you see that? Maybe the sun is just rising. Maybe it's cold. She's huddled under her shawl, her blanket. She's been crying probably for 72 hours straight. And, and she's been met with a mystery. The stone's been rolled away. Two guys who she likes and maybe doesn't like at the same time have rushed past her and done their investigations and left her alone there. She's finally alone. And she's crying. Can you feel her right now? And she looks in. Gosh, I wonder what she saw that first in that first glance. Well, who is Mary Magdalene? Uh, what do we know about her? Some have tried to diminish her role. In 591, we all remember this one, in a famous <laughs> sermon that we've all, I'm sure, read by Pope Gregory, uh, he uh, conflated Mary Magdalene with the sinful woman of Luke 7 who anointed Jesus' feet. He said those two were the same woman. We don't know why he did that, but some commentators say that he did that as a way of de-escalating the role that women had in the life of Jesus so that men could be more important. Some people have diminished Mary Magdalene. Some people, though, have tried to elevate her role. There's a couple of Gospels that were uh, discovered in Egypt in the late 1800s. One of them was the Gospel of Mary, not in the canon, but still discovered that it was written, dated in the second century, that it, and it places Mary Magdalene above the other disciples in terms of knowledge and influence. Gospel of Philip, also second century, found in Egypt, claims that Jesus loved her more than the other disciples. So some people want to elevate the role of Mary Magdalene. Well, the Bible gives no hint of either, okay? Maybe, maybe they're both true. Maybe neither are true. Uh, according to Luke 8, 1 through 3, what we do know about Mary Magdalene is that after Jesus cast seven demons out of her, holy mama, 
she became a part of the group of women who followed him, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom and also contributing financially to the disciples' work and Jesus' work. So whoever Mary was or wasn't, here's what I want to say. Her story shows us how to look for the resurrected Jesus in the midst of our own problems, our own joy, and especially our own spiritual journey. If you think about it, if you think about Mary Magdalene's life as a spiritual journey, as a stages of faith, in an earlier stage of faith, how do you think she was like, like right after Jesus cast those demons out of her, right? She was probably that ignot, that obnoxious early Christian that is like evangelizing every single person that she comes across. Like, do you have a demon? I got a guy that can cast him out. Do you have something wrong with you? I got a guy that can help you. You know that, like that kind, like it's exuberant, it's joyful. Imagine Mary Magdalene at that earlier stage of faith. Jesus was clear and unambiguous at that stage of faith. He was who he was. Did I just say stage of faith? Stage of faith. He was who he was. He was clear, unambiguous. He cast demons out of people. He preached the good news. Uh, of the kingdom and he invited her to do it too and she did and it was joyful and happy and her life had totally changed but then one day later on in her story she found herself watching jesus die on a cross her friend her messiah and she was so wrecked that she probably didn't sleep between then and the moment that we start our scripture portion with today bleary-eyed crying She's sitting outside his, his tomb, weeping in the dark, asking who has taken her Lord away. She asks this question three times in this portion. Someone has taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've laid him. And as I read that statement, someone has taken my Lord away, and I don't know where I've laid him. It strikes me as not just a moment in time. It strikes me as a sacred moment that is universal for anyone who has ever followed Jesus for any length of time. Mary's journey, I think, if we really look at it in a delicious, juicy way, reveals a universal pattern for anyone who truly follows Jesus. At first, Jesus is clear and unambiguous. He casts seven or 14 or 21 demons out of you. He saves you and it's beautiful. He is who he is. But then as we grow in our faith, because Jesus keeps moving, Jesus, as C.S. Lewis describes Aslan doing in the Chronicles of Narnia, is on the move. Because he keeps moving and because God is mystery and therefore endlessly knowable, that's what Richard Rohr says, mystery doesn't mean unknowable, it means endlessly knowable. At that stage in your faith, after Jesus has been clear and unambiguous, during the dark night, when all is dark and you're weeping at the tomb, you're going to need to let go of what you know so that you can grab a hold of what you don't yet know. And friends, I want to say this as clearly as I know how to say it. This isn't some postmodern deconstruction of your faith. This isn't losing your faith. This is how faith works. We grab onto what we know because it's all we can know. 
and we grab on a hold, we grab a hold of it for as long as it works, and then it stops working, and then we have to let it go. That's not letting God go. That's letting a belief system go that used to work but doesn't anymore. And when you do that, you weep. And it's in the dark because you can't see. That's how faith works. I mentioned C.S. Lewis before, and that's what he seemed to understand in the Chronicles of Narnia, these great books. If you haven't read them, you got to read them. You guys, they're so great. Remember um, when Aslan warned the kids, Peter, Lucy, and Edmund, and Susan, they got into Narnia the first time through the wardrobe. What did he warn them about the next time? He said, you can't go back through the wardrobe again. It won't work. You'll have to just be awake and aware, and you'll enter at a time where it'll surprise you. There was even a moment, and I've always, always kind of sad at this moment. This isn't a spoiler, I don't think, but he tells at one point Peter and Susan, you're too old now. You can't go back in. Now you can look at that as like a bummer and like as I'm so mean, or you can ask, I wonder how else they will meet Aslan as they grow, even in their own world. <laughs> Woo! Uh, if you don't like that story, let's go back to the children of Israel. Remember when they were wandering in the wilderness? You remember that this kind of obscure text where it says, like, God would lead them by a cloud if it was during the day, if they were on the move? And that's what Hebrew means to cross over or to be on the move, to be Hebrew. God would lead them by a cloud if they were moving by daytime. But then if they were moving by night, he would lead them or she would lead them by fire. And so what is God? Is God cloud? Is God fire? Or does God show up for you as you need God in the moment that you need God, in the way that you need God? And if you're looking for a cloud at night, <laughs> what's going to happen? You're going to miss God. I've lost my faith in clouds, you guys. Oh, my goodness. What's going to happen? Look for the fire, right? This is not about losing your faith. This is about growing in your faith. May we all be blessed with dark nights of the soul. I hate to say it. I wish it could come some other way. But growth usually only happens when we hit those moments when we say, someone has taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. This is a universal moment. And we've all been there, right? So there's a delicious little hint that we just shouldn't miss in this portion because it opens up the story to how we can find Jesus when we're looking. So Mary was talking to two angels when she said for the second time in this story that someone had taken my Lord away. I don't know where I've laid him. So here's the all play question. This is really for nerds. I mean, this is really for theological nerds. But where else in the scriptures do we see two angels guarding something use the chat where else in the scriptures do we see two angels guarding something these two angels 
are sitting one at the foot where Jesus used to lay and one at the head where Jesus used to lay. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant from Ashley. Whoop, whoop. Yes. Yes. And there's another moment, an even earlier moment. Rebecca, the Garden of Eden. Holly, the entrance to the Garden of Eden. Mary, the entrance to the Garden of Eden. Yes. So uh, we read this in Genesis 3, 24. God drove out the humans, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, God placed the cherubim. Cherubim is plural for cherub, meaning angels. So two angels. And a sword flaming and turning to guard the way of the tree of life. Here's another all play question, and I think it is delicious. Why were the angels guarding the tree of life? Why were the angels placed at the entrance in the east to the Garden of Eden guarding the tree of life? Use the chat for the all play. And by the way, uh, if you're watching online, like on YouTube and you're not in the Zoom, you know, talk to someone you're with, like, why do you think Jesus, or why, why do you think these two angels were guarding the tree <laughs> to show the way back to it? Rexanne, I love that. Becky, they're the welcome committee. Yes, that's so great. What else? Why were they guarding the way into the garden? Because living forever under the reign of God, uh, sorry, of death, isn't a blessing because living forever under a reign of death isn't a blessing. Whew. Nate Banker, people. I mean, let's get a, I want him to take over the sermon right now. But death can be a blessing. Well, as you're still wondering about that, is guard Shamar to keep? Yes, Jenny Gullickson, you Hebrew nerd. Guard is the Hebrew word shamar, and it does mean to keep or to tend. Laura, you can't go through the same way. The journey has changed. Laura, for the win. You shouldn't have winners and losers. You shouldn't. But Laura did just win. I'm sorry to say that. What if they were guarding the way to the tree of life, not to keep future humans from getting something special, but to warn us not to waste our time because we're no longer going to find God there. God is no longer at the tree of life. You can't go through uh, the wardrobe to, to reach Narnia again. You guys keep moving. The fire's going that way. The fire's going that way. Right? We get to keep returning to the three of life. <laughs> is that a, uh, Becky, is that a, like a, I don't know, a, a typo, the three of life, the trinity of life. Anyway, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I'm suggesting the tree of life either moves or the point is not to go back to the tree of life. I'm suggesting perhaps the angels guard it because God is on the move. And we need to find God in a new way. I do not know where they have taken my Lord, Mary says. When she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. <laughs> Come on, mystery novel. 
seriously? She loves this guy. She's been waiting for this guy. She, this is her guy. I mean, she would recognize him if she saw him, right? So as we move through the stark stages of unknowing, it seems like the only way that Jesus can get to us is if he comes to us in disguise. Now, I know there's some people that say, oh, he was luminous in a certain way and the resurrected body was so different that they couldn't understand him, recognize him. There's that, you know, two people that are walking on the road to Emmaus for seven miles. They're talking to Jesus. They don't even know it's him. So maybe in some weird metaphysical way, he really does look different. But then there's another moment where he's holding his hands out to Thomas and saying, hey, man, look, look at my, you know, look at my hands. They, they have holes in them. Look at my feet. I mean, put your put your fingers in there. Right. So he couldn't have looked all that different. So what if in this universal pattern of growth and death and letting go and grabbing hold, what if what we can learn from Mary is that in these moments where we don't know where our Lord is because someone's taken him away, we don't know where they've laid him, we've let go of an old way of looking at God. What if what we need to look for is how God or Jesus shows up to us in disguise. So here's an all play question. Looking for some tenderness here, some vulnerability. Uh, how has Jesus revealed himself to you in disguise? Maybe lately, maybe a long time ago. Um, Dave Schlink maybe took off his cape and put on some glasses. <laughs> yes. Cassandra invites us to see everything differently. Yes. Yes. How has Jesus revealed himself to you in disguise? I remember about 10 years ago. Uh, oh, Nico and Regan through COVID. Whew. Wish I knew more about that story, right? Through COVID-19. About 10 years ago, I met a Jewish rabbi, like a real Jewish rabbi, a human Jewish rabbi. Some of you know him. His name is Alan. And he's not Christian, still not a Christian. But he knew God more than I ever knew God. And I was so intrigued by him, still am. And that helped me to see Jesus in a whole new way. Uh, Will, for the last question, maybe the angels are tending it and keeping it ever expanding the bounds of the entrance. Ooh, I really like that one. Maybe the entrance is now everywhere to the garden. Woo. Current question through failure. Yep. Through failure. But I love that thought. Will. maybe the current two angels are saying the entrance to the garden is now everywhere and it's open, man. Love it. Rajan in those who support me when I need it. Yes. About how you've seen Jesus in disguise, even when I don't know it. Yes. Nico and Regan, life slowing down. This is COVID and giving the opportunity to stop running and start seeing him in different ways. Yeah, like even tragedy can, Jesus can show up through tragedy, right? Um, keep answering the question. I'll catch up. Listen through being able to move forward again and even try again after loss. Yep. You think about a loss you've had in your life, a relational loss, uh, maybe a pregnancy loss, maybe a death in your family, maybe a loss of a job. Um, and from Reagan uh, through Colin. Yes. And I finally got to meet little Colin yesterday in real life. Oh my gosh. Fell in love. 
I fell in love. Keep answering the question. I'll, I'll catch up. Um, but Jesus repeats the question to Mary. It's so precious, isn't it? Jesus says, hey, what are you, what are you weeping for? What are you looking for? This is Jesus' favorite question. You know that, right? What are you looking for? This, this is so good. And it's in the dark. Um, Woman, why are you weeping? And she repeats her answer a third time. Ugh, someone has taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've put him. And the scriptures, when we see this kind of exchange repeated over and over again, we know that something new is about to be said. That's always true. When that when a question is repeated two or three times, something new is about to be revealed. And so Jesus in verse 16 says to her, Mary, oh, Mary. And that's when she knew. That's when she saw him. That's when she realized it was him. When he says her name, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the father. And I kind of want to go like, Ooh, really? That's the first thing you want to say. <laughs> Don't hold on. How about, how about a quick hug? <laughs> you know, how about, how about hold on to me for a little while, a day? Two days? A week? Don't hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So she's the first evangelist. She's the first preacher. I don't know why women can't be preachers. She, Mary Magdalene is the first one, people, after Jesus is resurrected. So come on. Come on. I don't get it. Uh, Jesus meets Mary face to face. Jesus knew her name. And even then he warned her not to hold on to him, but to keep looking for him, to keep expanding her way of knowing him. I think that was a gift. Keep looking for me, Mary. Keep looking for me. Keep searching for me. You'll have more stages of faith. Well, you'll have to let go of certain things and grab onto other things. But I'll be with you throughout all of it because I am what you're looking for. What are you looking for? I am what you're looking for. Ah, oh, it's precious. Uh, Rick, she is on the move also. She is on the move also. And Rajan, I am such a romantic, 100%. And Reagan, uh, oh, from Mark. So it's less about the looking and more about the listening. Yeah, right? And maybe both, look, listen. Um, Laura answered the question, how has Jesus showed up to me in disguise through those I don't agree with? Um, and Rick, how has Jesus showed up to me in disguise through questions? The whole passage is filled with questions. Yes, yes. So here's what I want to invite you to do, friends, people of Genesis, community of Genesis. And I believe this all the way down to the ground, you guys. If this is, If you cut me, this is where I bleed in terms of spiritual formation, following Jesus, finding God. Here's my suggestion. Here's what I've found to be true. And I don't say that too often, right? But the journey of finding God over and over again is um, I'm going to give you just sort of four quick bullet points. They're not answers. They're questions, really. But number one, follow the truth where it goes. Don't get stuck. If something's not working, let go. Ask questions. Follow the truth where it goes. This is an adventure. It's mystery. It's love. It is a love story. It is a love story. 
follow the truth where it goes, number one. Number two, weep for your sadness and pain. Weep when something stops working. Weep for those you've lost. Name out loud when you've lost your faith or when you feel like you've lost God. Weep. Weep. Be real about what's really happening. Follow the truth where it goes. Weep for your sadness and pain. And then thirdly, when it's dark and you can't see anything, that's when you have to keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> I know that's a paradox, but when it's dark, when you can't see anything, that's when you got to be ready for Jesus to show up in disguise. Because that's when you, my friends, are ready. When you finally admit that you can't see and you don't know, then you're ready. Then you're ready. And then lastly, be curious for all the multitude of ways that Jesus will appear to you in disguise. Through a child, through a bursting bud on a tree, through a rainstorm, through pain, through joy, through a new job, through a lost job, through a, a sleepless night, through a vacation, Jesus can show up to you in any and every way possible. This is what the resurrection is. It's the ability for spirit to get in touch with matter and reveal the Christ through everything. Amen. It's the Christ. But the, the resurrected Christ has joined matter and spirit. And now God is available through everything and everywhere. Woo! People. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions, questions or would like, like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.